Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. episode is airing on Tuesday, February 11th, 2020. Hello, everybody. This is Shannon, and I am here to talk about my favorite thing, new books. And there are a bunch of them this week. I am so excited. I probably sound like a broken record because I'm always excited about new books. It's like my favorite thing to talk about, as I said. But before I do that, we have an interview with author Kathleen West, and her debut novel is Minor Dramas and Other Catastrophes. And I read it um, last week and loved it so incredibly much. And she was a joy to speak to. So I'm going to go ahead and do the housekeeping information for you. And then we'll get right into the interview. After that, we will move on to this week's new releases. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro Podcast. This is Shannon, and I am joined today by author Kathleen West, whose new book entitled Minor Dramas and Other Catastrophes released on Tuesday, February 4th. Kathleen, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. I am really excited to talk to you. I read this book in a little bit over 24 hours. Um, It was fantastic. So can we start by giving listeners a little bit of an introduction into your novel? Sure. Well, I wrote this book about the impulse that I think that many parents today have to protect their kids, shelter them from any pain or harm. And in particularly, particular, I, I focused on a character named Julia Abbott, who's kind of lost her sense of boundaries. And um, a teacher at the school where her teenagers go, Isabel Johnson, becomes a bit of a target for her. Isabel has a very progressive curriculum. And the the story centers on a social media conflict that they both become involved in. So when you sat down to write this book, did you have kind of a message that you were trying to impart or were you just kind of following the characters where they led you? I love that question. Well, I've been a teacher for 20 years myself, and the book began as a little spark for me when my own son, who is now in 10th grade, when he was in 6th grade, he tried out for the middle school musical at my school. It was Ellis Island, which is the same musical that I write about in the book. And I really, really wanted him to get a part. And when the cast list was posted, I was a teacher at his school. So I knew when and where that would be posted. And a colleague and I were talking and she was like, are you going to go look at the list when it comes out? 
And oh. we imagined that a little bit and we both laughed because we knew that that would be, you know, a little bit too far in terms of parenting, like to go up to the drama board and shove the kids aside and take a look at what part my son had gotten in the middle school musical. And that was really the spark of this book. I started, we imagined a woman that would do that. That's what Julia Abbott does at the beginning of this book when her son won't answer her text messages about his role in the musical. And then in terms of like messages or or how I went about writing it, I really just focused on issues that have always fascinated me as a teacher, most um, most especially the kind of vulnerable relationship between teachers and parents because both of those people, the teacher and the parent, care so much about the kids that they're working with. And because everyone's so invested, that can kind of go sideways. So I guess in answer to your question, I was more focused on the story than on any particular message. So you wrote the novel from a variety of perspectives. We spend time with Julia and with Isabel, but we also get to see Julia's husband and her children and the school principal. Did you find it, and even like some more people aside from those, did you find it difficult to kind of transition quickly from voice to voice to voice to voice? Yes, that was something that I really had to learn as a writer. And this is my first novel. Um, when I, After I started writing it, I, I signed up for a few classes at a place called the Loft Literary Center we have here in Minneapolis. It's a really well-known writing school for adults at various stages of their writing practices and careers. I took my classes online because I have a full-time job and some kids, so I was pretty busy. But they were really excellent at helping me think about developing character voice and transitioning between them. And that thing that you're mentioning, like the fast transitions between points of view, that was one of the last things that I feel like I got right in my editing. It took a long time to kind of smooth over the chapter breaks and, and bring readers from one character to the next. So that was a really fun skill to learn as a writer. Because they're pretty quick chapters. You know, a lot of authors do the you know, multiple points of view, but sometimes you have like larger sections. So here you spend, you know, pretty brief amounts of time in each person's head and it kind of moves the story along. Did you have a favorite character that you wrote? Well, I started with Isabel and Julia, my two main characters, the teacher and the mom. But I have to say, I really enjoyed writing my school principal. Wayne Wallace. There are only a few chapters from Wayne's perspective, but I really liked that guy. Um, he's kind of a bumbling principal. <laughs> he doesn't make all of the right decisions. He's really concerned with um, appearances and keeping the peace at his school. And I think that limits his decision making. But I mean, teachers always, I think, like to poke fun at administration in schools, or at least like my experience as a teacher, that happened a lot. So I had a lot of fun writing a guy who was leading the school, but maybe wasn't so good at his job. I liked when he was calling parents and he would like think about, you know, how he had to do this and, oh, like maybe it would be good if he just called, you know, two or three a day, like that would be fine. <laughs> and he was... I think that he is like, I mean, nobody gets into education, teachers, principals, nobody goes in because they want to talk to parents. Um, and so I liked thinking about how he also didn't really want to, to make these phone calls. But I had fun writing those phone calls because um, people have asked me a lot about how much of the story is autobiographical. And we can talk more about that if you want. But the answers that the parents give him to his little survey when he's calling, 
those I actually lifted from a survey that I was required to send to the families of my students um, many years ago, like 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I had to send an anonymous survey oh. to the parents of my students. And you know, I had 155 students and only about 20 parents answered the survey. And it's the 10 that think that you walk on water and the 10 that think that you're the worst ever. So the comments from that have really stayed with me and I had a lot of fun including those in those chapters. Yeah, because he was like not impressed, especially when he had to ask them if there was anything else they wanted to add. <laughs> yes. That was a terrible question, he thought. Right, yes. Giving people, giving parents this open platform in this affluent community where parents feel that their um, opinions are so important, he really dreaded that. <laughs> well, and a lot of those parents, like Julia in particular, but I kind of got the impression that a lot of other parents you know, in her sphere sort of thought this same way that yes, like people were really in great need of hearing, you know, what she, what she thought um, and how she perceived a situation. Yeah. I mean, I think that's natural. Like um, as parents, we think that our impressions and our like adult perspectives on these kids situations are really relevant and important. And I think as adults, we have to remind ourselves that it's not always um, appropriate or necessary to assert our adult perception on kid situations. <laughs> and the parents in this book sometimes have a hard time seeing that. Yes, sometimes they do. Yeah. So when you decided that you were going to write this book, how did you kind of weave that into, as you said, like your full-time job and the fact that you yourself are a mother? Like it seems like, you know, you've got kind of a lot on your plate starting off and then you're like oh I'm gonna write a novel yeah I you know I wanted to write a book um for a long time since I was a little kid I had imagined writing a novel and then you know how your life just kind of takes off you go to college and I graduated from college knowing I wanted to be a teacher so I started that career immediately and then you know I got married and I had two children and, and pretty soon you're just going down a path where there's not a lot of space for creativity or or even like hobbies or relaxation, you know, especially in today's age where parenting to be a good parent seems to mean um, supervising your kids, you know, like or bringing them to things almost all the time. Mm -hmm. And I've been involved in that as well. So um, I, I do have a disposition as a lifelong learner. Like I love to learn and do new things. And before I started writing this book, I had found time to take some adult violin lessons once my kids got a little bit older. Like as soon as my youngest was four, I felt like I had a little space in my life. So I did that for a while. And then I realized that this pull to writing was was really strong. So I I gave up my violin and used that create creative time or creativity time to start writing. Um, the time in the day that I had was 4.45 to 6.15 a.m. So I really had to put that in the day before my family got up for work um, and school. And that made me feel good, too, because, like, no one, I wasn't inconveniencing anyone with my hobby. Um, and it, people said, oh, that must have been really hard for you to do. I am a natural early riser, so it's not as hard for me to write at that time than it, than it might be for some other people. But I also just felt a great that the time was a great gift. You know, it's quiet. How much time do you ever have where it's quiet if you're a mom and a teacher? Otherwise, you're interacting with people the whole day. So I came to really cherish those early morning hours. So I do not like morning. So I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about waking up at 4.45 and yeah. having to, like, actually think and write and write something 
you know, valuable. And I'm thinking, no, I think I might decide to go back to bed. <laughs> well, your time must be like midnight to 1 a.m., which sounds miserable to me, but other people. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, see that, that's much better. I could just like already be awake. I, I would, yeah, that would be the best. Um, I, I do a lot of my reviewing and like podcast administration stuff, kind of, you know, the late evening, um, that works very well for me. So, but I guess that's why we are all different. Yeah, we're all different. And I think the, the thing that we're both doing that other people could do is just taking whatever little time that you have, even if it's just 15 minutes between something else at work or over your lunch or wh whenever you have it, I think sometimes we can fall into a trap of thinking like I can't do anything important unless I have at least an hour. And that really hasn't been my experience for exercise or writing or anything else. You know, 15 minutes is sometimes enough to make forward progress. So what was your process for writing? Like, did you write in kind of a linear fashion, like tell your story from start to finish? Or did you kind of jump around as you wrote it? I started jumping around in my one of those classes I took at the loft. My teacher, Mary Carol Moore was her name. She um, had a strategy that worked really well where she had us brainstorm um, just a, a list of scenes that we thought might belong in the novel. This is really early in the process. Maybe when you have the ideas for the characters, but you don't even know what, what's going to happen necessarily, just a long list of scenes that might appear. And um, I did that, and then that was really helpful because, like, if I felt blocked or if I felt like I didn't know what to do during my writing time, I could just kind of randomly pick one of those scenes and write it. Um, so in the beginning, I did that, and I'll be honest and tell you that a lot of that early writing ends up disappearing. Like, I, it doesn't appear in the final novel or it gets cut later, but I think it's so important to kind of navigate your characters and learn about who they are and how they react in different situations. So in the beginning, I started kind of randomly. And then as I get more into the story or I, or I even have like a bare bones draft, then I'm very linear. Then I'll go from start to finish um, all the way through instead of skipping around so much. So how long did it take you to actually write this novel? It took about three years to write the novel. Um, yeah. And I kind of just measure it from my, in my son's development. So I know he was in sixth grade when I started it and now he's in 10th grade and the book is coming out and it was finished about a year ago. So it was three years and that included a lot of times where I thought I was finished with the book. You know, ah. I, yeah, I was writing as a hobby, right? Like this had taken the place of adult violin lessons in my life. So I, I wrote the book. I, I was really excited to have written a whole story that spanned so many pages and um, and then I decided to try to get an, a literary agent to sell the book for me. And when I started working with her, I had to do a full revision of it and then another partial revision. So there were lots of times where I thought, OK, this is it. I'm finished with the book. Um, but I wasn't actually finished until like a full three years and four months, probably. So do you prefer kind of the drafting process or the editing process as a whole? The editing process by far. And I think this is so interesting about people who like different things about it. I find drafting to be just a total grind. Um, I, I sit there and I'm just like, oh, it, it just feels, my fingers feel heavy. I just, I, I think I'm writing terrible things. Um, you know, all the self-doubt creeps in around that time. Once I have a draft, I feel so much better because I'm like, okay, whatever it is here, like I can 
I can definitely fix it. The fixing for me is by far the more enjoyable phase. I don't know. Are you a writer yourself? How do you? I am not. Okay. I'm not. I am a reader. Um, I have like such huge appreciation for people who write books. And it's one of those things I think about like, oh, you know, I wonder like if one day I might do this. And I'm like, you know, I really like kind of the other side of this. Yeah. Um, I love the idea of just being able to read what people create and talk to them about it and, you know, help do some of the like promoting of it. Um, so I doubt that I will ever write. We have a few people who work on the podcast um, who at some point you know, would like to write in various genres, but mm-hmm. not me so much. I'll have little like ideas. Oh, I wonder like how it would be to write like a fantasy novel. Yeah. And then I'm like, you know, so many people like also wonder how it would be to write a fantasy novel. So I think I'll just sort of. <laughs> well, I think just all sides of the literary world, you know, readers, writers. Um, I think that we can all kind of be in the sphere together doing what we enjoy. So whatever, wherever it takes you. So you had mentioned that people ask you a lot how much of your novel is autobiographical. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about that? For sure. I mean, I definitely drew on my 20 years of teaching experience to write this book. And uh, when I first started talking about it with my school community and telling parents that the book had sold and that it would be coming out, almost invariably the parents would kind of get red in the face and ask me like, oh my gosh, did you write this book about me? Like, am I the (laughs) parent? And I was like, no. And it is true that this is not, Julia Abbott is not one parent that I have encountered. In fact, she's a combination of a lot of different parents that I've worked with and including myself, like that impulse that I have to protect my kids and make everything right in their world. However, like I mentioned with the comments on Wayne Wallace's survey, I did have an awful lot of fun like building this school world that kind of highlights some of the absurdities of being a career teacher, like the faculty meetings and chaperoning the dances. And and it is true that some of this ridiculous behavior is inspired by some of my real life experiences. Like, you know, it, the book is definitely not, not about any particular parent, but if you're the parent that told me that I failed to rise to my station as eighth grade English teacher, as if eighth grade English teacher were the same as like Nobel laureate, then maybe you inspired the character. Or definitely (laughs) if you're the person that told me your son couldn't have cheated on my American lit quiz because he had too good of a relationship with Jesus, then (laughs) I was inspired by you when I wrote this book. Oh, you know, I'm just not sure that those things are mutually exclusive. Um, I I suppose we think they were. You know, we want people to, like, be good people, and so I suppose. (laughs) So as you were writing and you're kind of, you know, pulling from sort of experiences that you have had, um, did you kind of have to be careful not to kind of inject people that you knew or like too much of yourself into your work? Yeah, I think what was so important to me was to really convey um, the love that I have for teaching and the, you know, the appreciation I've had for the privilege of doing the job for so many years. I've always loved teaching. And I do like I'm inspired by students. I'm inspired by their optimism for their future and their hope and their ability to participate in the world. And so I didn't want to write a book where I was skewering somebody. Mm -hmm. 
I was really conscious of wanting everybody to kind of look pretty good or to have motivations that most of us could really understand. And I feel good about that in the end. Like even my principal that isn't the best at his job, like in the end, he turns out looking okay. My parent turns out looking okay. My teacher turns out looking okay. There's really just one person I think when you read the book that you'll find doesn't look great at the very end. And that person is completely fictional. I've never met her and never worked with anyone like her. So I felt good about that. So how do you think social media like affects teaching now? Um, I know, you know, as the internet has kind of exploded, it creeps into so many facets of our lives. And as I read your book and I saw kind of the part that social media played in all of these people's lives, I kind of wondered, you know, when people are actually, you know, on the ground teaching, like how, how does social media figure into that? Yeah, that's a great question. I have always loved social media. Um, I'm an early adopter. And as a teacher, I try to include a lot of technology in my class. I, I found the tools very inspiring, especially in terms of helping kids participate in adult dialogues. I think in 2020, kids have a platform that they didn't have in 1999 when I first started teaching. It's easier for them to get information and to also contribute to the conversation that's going on in their community and in the world more generally. But I also feel that, you know, as we're walking around with these computers in our hands, um, using social media requires reason and thoughtfulness. And those two things can really fail us in moments of stress. So impulsivity takes on like a new dangerous quality um, when you can write something that's going to stay forever um, in people's imaginations with social media. So I really wanted to explore that. Like what happens when you're when you're engaging in social media when what you really should do is maybe have a conversation in person. And actually the adults in my book, in this book, it's the adults that really make the mistakes there, which I also kind of like. Yes, I think, you know, we often think, oh, well, you know, adults are calmer and more reasonable. And unfortunately, that's just not always true. It would be a good sort of ideal, but not always a fact. And I think that adults are kind of lulled into this idea that when we're interacting online, we're among friends, you know, uh -huh. friends or whatever, like I have friended the person on whatever platform I'm on. But we need to remember that unless we're actually sitting with someone face to face, like our interactions are public. And so right. what would you want to say? Would you say that? Would you say that in front of the person that you're talking about? Um, and the parents in this case really make mistakes there. So are, as much as you are a writer, are you also a reader? Yes, I am an avid reader and I, I read 52, well, my New Year's resolution is always to read 52 books per year. And actually before I um, got my book deal, my Twitter handle was 52 books plus because I like to review my reading on, in little snippets on, on Twitter. So I really do try to read at least a book a week. I'm a little bit behind right now, but it's only February. So I'll that's true. So you have time to catch up. Yeah. So have you read anything lately that you found particularly notable? Yes. You know, I just finished Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed, and that yes. book is getting so much buzz. And I know that Reese Witherspoon picked it and everything, so I'm not offering your listeners something that they probably haven't heard of. But I have to say I found it utterly compelling. It deals with a lot of the same themes we've been talking about with social media. But it also deals with just so many relationships that I'm that were 
are so interesting on the page and then just really interesting to think about in your real life. In particular, yes. I'm a white woman, a white you know, middle class woman, and I have two kids and I, I have hired people to help me with things in my life, like childcare providers or health cleaners or whatever. And Kylie Reed really deals with the the dynamics between those intimate relationships, but they're still employer-employee relationships in such fascinating ways. And she really explicitly talks about the race and class issues involved in how we navigate those connections. And I just found every character in the book to be um, flawed and interesting and relatable. So gosh, I'm really excited. I get—I just found out I'll get to meet her <gasps> later this spring and I'm so excited, yes. Oh, see that, that's so excellent. I read an early copy of Such a Fun Age, um, like the late part of the fall. So like mm -hmm. almost right before it came out and it was, it was phenomenal. Yeah, it's great. And right now I'm reading another book that is about social media, but much more about the insidiousness of it or um, kind of toxicity. It's the fo it's Followers by Megan Angelo. Oh, that's like a dystopian, like, yeah. it, yes. It takes place in two timelines. One is 2015 and the other one is like 30 or 40 years later. I mean, they get the year wrong, but and characters, you can see them in 2015 kind of on the verge of this social media saturation and then the outcome of that later. And I, I guess that the author of that book has a less optimistic view of social media than maybe I do, but man, I'm really having fun with that book as well. There's so much good stuff to read right now. It's true. That one is on my iPad. I have not started it yet, but it is sitting here waiting for me. I'll be excited to hear what you think. So are you um, planning to write another novel now or yeah. what's next for you? In fact, I just turned in my second book. Um, <gasps> yeah, I, I, and I'm sure there'll be some revisions, but I'm very excited about kind of how it turned out. In my first book in minor dramas, the kids are pretty perfect and the parents make mistakes as we've been talking about. And in my second book, I have kids making pretty serious mistakes and I've been exploring how those mistakes impact their parents' reputation and standing in their communities. Okay, I, I want this. Oh good, I'm so excited. <laughs> I think of it a lot actually. I think because in teaching you see a lot of parents who we know we're not supposed to live live vicariously through our children. Right. But somehow when your kids get a report card, you feel that you did either a good or a bad job when it, it wasn't really you. And I really kind of wanted to think about that. Well, I wish you the best of luck with that. And I will be keeping an eye out for it. Um, I'm guessing in like the coming months. Um, yeah, I think we'll early. We haven't even landed on a title yet, but I assume like within a few weeks we'll have a title and, and I'll have more information. So I look excellent. Yeah. Excellent. So if listeners would like to um, find you online, what is the best way for them to do that? Well, they can find me on Twitter at K West books and I love Twitter. So I I'm super interactive and I like being there. And then I'm also on Instagram at Kathleen West writes. And um, they can find me there. And I also have a website, but if you just Google me, I'll come up. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining me today and for writing this phenomenal look at the world of, of both a parent and a teacher. Um, it's truly 
a fantastic read and I hope that people pick this up and really fall in love with your story and your characters and your world. Oh, well, thank you so much, Shannon. That's such a nice compliment. It's really been fun talking with you. All right. All right. Let's talk about books. So the first couple are books that you've heard us mention before on our most anticipated books of February episode. Um, C.L. Polk is releasing the second book in her Kingston Cycle series. This is Storm Song, and Mika talked about that one. The next two are books that I talked about, Nikki Pau-Preto's Heart of Flame, which is the sequel to last year's Crown of Feathers, which I absolutely love, and Mercy House by Elena Dillon, which is historical fiction that I'm super excited to read. I mentioned these um, on our February episode as well. Now, so this is a list now of books that we've not talked about before. Um, as always, this is not meant to be a comprehensive list. It's just a list of things that I'm excited about, things that one or more of the Book Bistro co-hostesses are excited about, or things that I sort of generally feel like would appeal to the listenership of the Book Bistro podcast. If you are looking forward to something out this week and I haven't mentioned it, please let me know. Um, the more information you give me about the kinds of things you read and enjoy, the better I'm able to curate these lists. Okay, so Untamed Shore by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia is out this week, and she is very busy because I think she has three books out this year. Um, but this one is a thriller, and it's set in Mexico. It is her first um, thriller, and it's about a woman who finds herself in some unexpected danger when her path crosses with three enigmatic tourists. So once again, this is Untamed Shore by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. We also have A New Romantic Suspense by Carmen D'Souza. This is Sam's Folly. And it's the first book in her Midnight Sun series. This series is about five brothers who have dedicated their lives to rescuing people lost in the Alaskan wilderness. I love books set in Alaska. I'm fascinated by people living in the wilderness. I don't like it in real life. Like I would never want to do it, but I really enjoy reading about it. So I'm very excited about this one. It's Sam's Folly and it's Midnight Suns book one by Carmen D'Souza. And we're gonna move here to some young adult. Evelyn Skye's Cloak of Night, which is the sequel to Circle of Shadows, is coming out this week. Skye has written um, a couple of duologies. She had one a while ago called The Crowns Game, which is sort of like a young adult version of the Night Circus. Um, her fantasy tends to be a little less violent than some others. I think she falls under the kind of like uh, Christian fiction with fantasy elements woven in category. Um, so this one is Cloak of Night and it's Circle of Shadows book two by Evelyn Skye. And another sequel out this week is Storm from the East. This is the second book in the Glass Alliance series by Joanna Hathaway. The first book came out last year. It was called Heart of the West, and I actually have it. I haven't read it yet, but it looks very, very good, so I'm excited about this one. This is Storm from the East, 
and it's The Glass Alliance, book two, by Joanna Hathaway. If you love The Hunchback of Notre Dame, then this next book is going to be right up your alley. This is Night Spinner, and it's the first book in a series with the same title by Addie Thorley. And this is a young adult fanta uh, fantastical retelling of The Hunchback of Notre Dame. So I'm very excited about this. Um, Hunchback was never like my favorite movie growing up, but I've always been kind of fascinated by like the, the whole like Paris element of it. So I really want to check this one out. This is Night Spinner, Night Spinner book one by Addie Thorley. Okay, so I'm gonna talk about a book that is not fantasy, but it is still young adult. This is We the Wildflowers. And it's by L.B. Simmons. It's about a group of teens who meet in a home for troubled youth and form some really strong friendships from which they learn a whole lot of things about life and love and their own inner strength. Um, it looks really good, kind of intense. Um, something that would appeal to me and probably to several of the co-hostesses here as well. So this is We the Wildflowers. And it is by L.B. Simmons. Kathleen Kent wrote a book called The Dime a few years ago. And now the sequel is out. This is The Burn and it's Detective Betty book two. I don't know a ton about this except that they're police procedurals. I haven't read The Dime. I think it has something to do with police corruption. And that's not always my favorite thing to read about. Um, but I've, it's gotten really good reviews, and I might check it out at some point, although it doesn't top my list. I wanted to mention it here for those of you who might enjoy it. So this is The Burn, Detective Betty, book two, and it's by Kathleen Kent. We also have a novel called Eden Mine out this week. It's by S.M. Hulse. And it examines the after effects of an act of domestic terrorism. It's set in a small town, um, I believe somewhere out in the American West. And this town is on the verge of abandonment. And I guess this um, kind of terrorist act kind of is, you know, the, the straw that breaks that. So it's Eden Mine and it is by S.M. Hulse. Next up is the latest installment in Jennifer Ashley's Shifters Unbound series. This is called Iron Master and it's the 12th book in the series. I feel like kind of a bad reader because I've never read Jennifer Ashley. She has some really great historicals from what I hear, her um, Mackenzie series as well as this um, urban fantasy about shifters and I think she's done some other things as well. And I don't know why exactly, but I've never picked up any of her books. And I think I really need to remedy that because a lot of people whose reading tastes align pretty closely with mine enjoy her. So I'm going to need to remedy this. But anyway, in case you are more up to date on Jennifer Ashley than I obviously am, this is Iron Master, Shifters Unbound, number 12. Historical fiction historical fiction set in France. This is The Queen's Fortune and it's by Alison Pataki. This is the story of Napoleon and the women who love him. Um, 
to hear about his his wives, his mistresses. I'm very, very excited. I love historical fiction. I love fiction about the French Revolution. And I haven't seen much about that time, like after, you know, when France was under um, Napoleon's control. So I'm pretty excited about this. It's The Queen's Fortune, and it is by Alison Pataki. We also have a new YA thriller, and this is The Last Confession of Autumn Casterly. The author is Meredith Tate, and this is billed as If I Stay meets One of Us is Lying. So an interesting kind of mashup of like Gail Foreman, her kind of serious, very poignant writing mixed with the thriller aspects of Karen McManus's uh, thrillers. So I'm pretty excited about this. It's The Last Confession of Autumn Casterly, and it is by Meredith Tate. And we're going back here to some young adult fantasy. This is sensational. It's the sequel to Spectacle by Jody Lynn's Rock, and it's the story of a teenage girl who receives supernatural messages from the dead. So it is Sensational Spectacle Book 2 by Jody Lynn's Rock. Next up is Wildland. This is by Rebecca Hodge, and it's a debut novel about a woman who is in search of solitude. She kind of needs to find herself, and along the way, she also finds love in the face of some unexpected disaster. Um, I believe there's like wildfires that sort of run rampant and cause her quite a bit of difficulty. So this is Wildland, and it is by Rebecca Hodge. Next up is a book that I'm not sure that it will top my list of things to read, but I think a lot of people will enjoy it, people who have more patience with ghosts than I do. So this is Ghosts of the Missing, and it's by Kathleen Donahoe. It's in the vein of The Lovely Bones, and it's told from the perspective of a 12-year-old girl who has gone missing, and we see the effect of her disappearance on the town as a whole. So this is Ghosts of the Missing, and the author is Kathleen Donahoe. I'm really excited about this next book. Next book. This is The Mercies, and it's by Kieran Millwood Hargrave. And the premise is that the men in this Norwegian village are wiped out, leaving the women to fend for themselves. So it looks kind of like this like feminine or feminist fantasy dystopia that's pretty popular right now um, and that I'm a pretty big fan of. So I definitely want to check this out. It is The Mercies, and the author is Kieran Millwood Hargrave. Next up is a standalone novel by author Reese Bowen, who again is someone that I've never read. She writes the um, Her Royal Spinus series, I believe. But this one is Above the Bay of Angels, and it's about a servant girl who works in Queen Victoria's kitchen and finds all kinds of like suspense and intrigue that she's trying to sort through. Um, it's billed as a cozy mystery, and those are not always my favorite, which is probably why I've not read Reese Bowen, but I know that a lot of people enjoy her, and so I wanted to um, highlight her new book here. So it's Above the Bay of Angels, and the author is Reese Bowen.
Next up is a book that I think is going to wrap up a series. This is All the Best Lies and it's Ellery Hathaway book two by Joanna Schaffhausen. And I read the first two books in this series and really enjoyed them. Um, they tread that line between like romantic suspense and straight up thriller really nicely. Um, I can't really decide how I would classify them. The first one read more like a straight up thriller and there were some hints of romance. The second one, the romance was a little more in the forefront, but still not like the focus of the book. So I'm not sure how this next one will play out, but it is All the Best Lies and it's Ellery Hathaway book three by Joanna Schaffhausen. We also have a book called Adequate Yearly Progress and it's by Roxana Eldon. Um, it's being described as like the TV show, The Office, if it were set in an urban high school. So it's a look at kind of like teachers and the workplace and what exactly it might be like to work in a, a school kind of in today's society. So this is Adequate Yearly Progress and the author is Roxana Eldon. I have a deep slightly morbid fascination with the Borgia family. And so Alyssa Palumbo's new novel, which is called The Borgia Confessions, makes me really, really happy. Um, I read pretty much any historical fiction I can find on the Borgias. I just, I think they're so like sly and tricky and I don't know, like just interesting to me. So I definitely want to check this one out. It's The Borgia Confessions and it's by Alyssa Palumbo. Claire Beams is releasing The Illness Lesson this week. And it's a novel that examines this time-honored tradition of doubting both women's minds and their bodies, even when the women themselves are talking to you about what's going on for them. So it looks like kind of an intense read, probably a difficult read, but something that's very worthwhile. This again is The Illness Lesson, and it is by Claire Beams. Last up is another young adult fantasy novel, and I am so excited about this one. It looks like everything that I love. This is Ink in the Blood, and it's the first book in the Ink in the Blood duology. The author is Kim Smedjkel, and this is a novel where lies are currency, and ink is a weapon. So like tattoo magic is a big deal here. Um, there's like a lot of kind of theater components woven into the story. It just looks really, really great. I'm so excited. I want to, um, grab it as soon as it comes available as I'm recording this, like the night before I can't have it yet, but only a few more hours. So this is Ink in the Blood and it's Ink in the Blood number one by Kim Smedjkel. And that is it for me this week. Um, lots of great things coming out. I hope you found some things that excite you and definitely let me know which of these you end up reading. Um, like I said, if there's anything else that you've read that I haven't talked about, definitely let me know that as well. I'm always happy to hear from you and the more feedback you give me, the better I can hopefully help you find new releases. Mm -hmm. 
If you would like to let us know your thoughts, you can do that by leaving us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform you use to access the show. And not only does it allow us to see your feedback, but it also helps other book lovers to find us, which is a great thing. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with more bookish fabulousness. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more discussion of great books. Take care, everybody.